This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the One who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, archaeologists in recent years have made a rather interesting discovery. That not too far from Jesus' boyhood town of Nazareth, there was a Roman town called Sepphoris. We didn't really even know about Sepphoris until pretty recently. Judging from the evidence that we can gather, Sepphoris was a busy, pretty big, lively place. Most likely a, a crossroads where people from a lot of different cultures and language groups came together and mingled for entertainment and for business purposes. Well, just a few miles away is this little town of Nazareth where Jesus grew up. One of the few things the Gospels tell us about Joseph, Jesus' foster father, is that he was a tecton. Tecton is usually translated as carpenter, but scholars suggest it might have a somewhat broader sense. Tecton could mean a, a craftsman, you know, a skilled worker of some kind. Not a farmer, but someone who'd be a, more of a city dweller and a skilled worker. Interestingly, the chief tecton in Greek would be the architecton. Our word architect comes from that. So Joseph was a city person, a, a business person, a craftsman. Therefore, scholars suggest it was probably pretty likely that he would have made his way frequently to this little town of, or not so little town, of Sepphoris, undoubtedly there to do business. Well, it's almost impossible not to imagine Joseph taking with him this little child, Jesus, on these business trips to Sepphoris where he would have been acquainted with the world of business affairs, money, lending, exchange, and so on. When Jesus came of age, he chose certain men as his disciples. I think it would be wrong to say they were peasants or farmers. Jesus chose Galilean fishermen for the most part. Well, also in recent years, archaeologists and, and scientists and scholars have discovered that Galilean fishermen were fairly accomplished entrepreneurs and businessmen doing business not only in Palestine, let's say trading with uh, uh, people in Jerusalem and other big cities, but also in big cities across the eastern end of the Roman Empire. These were not simple-minded people, but actually rather accomplished small businessmen, we might say. I bring all this up because it always strikes me how often Jesus draws from the world of business when talking about the spiritual life. It is true, many of his parables are about farming and planting and sowing and so on. He was talking to a, a peasant audience. But he also draws frequently from the world of finance, business, trade. Well, today's parable, drawn from this wonderful 25th chapter of Matthew, is a very good example of this. Listen now as the Lord speaks. Jesus told his disciples this parable. A man going on a journey called in his servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, 
to a third one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. Now we know as the story unfolds what happens. The man who was given five talents invests it, risks it, puts it on the open market, and receives five more back. A good return on his investment. In the same way, the man with two risked his money, invested it, and got another two back. The third man, who was given the one talent, afraid he might lose it, buried it. Upon the master's return, he's delighted with the work of the first two stewards as they give him back a very good return on his investment, and he entrusts them with more responsibility, gives them more wealth. But the man who comes forward and says, Master, I was afraid of you. I knew you were a tough man, demanding. I was afraid to lose the money you gave me, so I buried it. Here it is, back to you. And this man not only isn't praised, oh, he's blamed. The master upbraids him. The very least you could have done is put it in the bank. I would have gotten some interest on it. But this way you were so concerned with protecting me. In fact, you've infuriated me. And with that, he throws him out, giving his one talent to the man who had ten. Well, what do we make of this? It seems like a pretty tough, ruthless story, a tough lesson. Well, stay with the analogy. Stay with the world of business. Anyone interested in making it in the world of business or finance knows in his bones the truth of this parable. Money that is not risked, invested, put out in the open market, ventured, eventually diminishes. It's a tough but basic rule of capitalism. In a certain way, you can't just hang on to your money because everyone else around you is investing and venturing and so on, as their money increases, your money effectively is decreasing. Not to risk, not to invest the money, is in fact to lose it. So what this third steward says, every businessman knows is wrong-headed. Master, I just want to hang on to what I've got, so I buried it. I didn't risk it at all. In fact, you're losing your money that way. Just think of if you read the biographies, the stories of the great businessmen and entrepreneurs of our country, you know, from Carnegie and Rockefeller up to uh, Clement Stone and Bill Gates in our own time, this is the one common element. These are people who were willing to risk. Most people at the beginning of their careers, and this is true in all these stories, most people at the beginning told them they were crazy, they were being irrational, it would never work, be more prudent, be more careful. But all these very successful tycoons were people who risked. Look, how much do these two stewards risk? Precisely everything. The ones given five, he, he invests it all. The ones given two, he invests it. They risk everything. So the great entrepreneurs of our country were people of risk. Listen how Jesus closes this parable. And I would say it's true for the capitalist, and as we'll see, it's true in the spiritual life. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will grow rich. But from the one who has not, 
even what he has will be taken away. Well, yeah, that's hard-nosed economic principle, what I've just been explaining. The one who risks and invests tends to get rich. The one who clings to the little he has will lose. Yes, he'll lose even the little he has. What Jesus saw was the application of this economic principle to the spiritual life. Here's the principle, Christians. The Spirit grows in you precisely in the measure that you invest it in love. In other words, precisely in the measure that you give it away, it grows. The one thing you cannot do with the Spirit of God living in you is cling to it as your possession. Because when you do that, it actually slips out of your hands. The life of God in you grows in the measure that it is given away. You know, I've said this so many times, but it's, it bears repeating because it's the heart of our faith. Our God is a trinity of persons. The Father is the Father in the measure that he gives himself away in love to the Son. The Son is the Son in the measure that he gives himself away to the Father. The Spirit is the mutual self-giving of the Father and the Son. What you see in the Trinity is nothing like hoarding. What you see is giving away. God invests himself in love for the other, which is how his life flourishes. So we, in the measure that we invest our minds, our wills, our passions, our energies, our bodies, we invest them in the lives of others, in that measure, they increase. Where do we see this spiritual principle most brilliantly on display? We see it in the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I preach one thing, Christ and him crucified, and this is why. In Christ crucified, what we see is the life of God given away in love, invested in us. Listen, Jesus died for us. He was entrusted with the fullness of the divine life. What did he do with it? Cling to it? No, that was the devil's temptation from the beginning of Matthew's gospel. Turn these stones into bread. Become a king. Use this power for your own good. No, Jesus resisted that and instead gave himself away. How much? His whole self. To what point? To the point of death. In that, he is the good steward of this divine life. And in that great act, Jesus gives life to the whole church. He gives life to the whole world. That's the lesson. Where else can you see this economic, spiritual principle at work? In the lives of all the saints. This is the key, Christians. What makes a saint a saint is precisely the knowledge of this principle and the acting upon it. Think for a second of St. Athanasius, a saint from the early centuries of the church, who spoke out the truth of Christ's incarnation and endured for his troubles, persecution, constant pursuit, exile, fear of death for his entire public life. What did Athanasius invest in this great proclamation? everything, 
everything is whole life. Think of St. Augustine of Canterbury, the man who evangelized England, setting out to this unknown country, dangerous country, to bring the gospel. He knew that whenever the gospel was proclaimed by evangelists, almost invariably they were persecuted, martyred. How much did he invest? Everything. Life, soul, body, mind. He put everything on the line. That's why he's a saint. St. Patrick, returning to the country where he had been imprisoned as a young man. He'd been kidnapped and taken to Ireland, held prisoner there. He escaped and then went back, risking everything. How about my hero, St. Thomas Aquinas? Not as dramatic as the other saints I've mentioned, but a man who risked with his whole life a journey into the most difficult and puzzling and frightening questions we can ask, the deepest questions about God. Whenever I read Aquinas' works, these massive volumes, thousands of pages, I see a man who's willing to risk his whole self to seek out the truth of God. I spoke of Thomas More a few weeks ago. Risked home, family, house, wealth, status, friendship, and finally his whole life. Think of those English martyrs from the 16th century who followed Thomas More. Men who studied in places like Belgium and Rome, studied for years to prepare themselves to be priests in the most hostile environment imaginable, the Protestant England of the 16th century. Almost every one of them went to England knowing he would die. What did they risk, put on the open market, invest everything in them? Mother Teresa, in more modern times, left the comfort of her convent and entered into the worst slum in the world, putting all of her energies on the line. Christians, on and on it goes in the lives of the saints, those who mimic Christ. Cling to your life, you'll lose it. The same way you'll lose the money you cling to. Invest your life in love and you will find it 30, 60, and 100 fold. That's the key to sainthood. God bless. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. To purchase copies of The Word on Fire, call 847-297-4360. That's 847-297-4360.